This is such a familiar parable, isn't it? One we are likely to have heard many times. Jesus was on a roll. He'd been teaching, healing, calling for repentance, rattling cages for many exhausting weeks, knowing his time was approaching when he must face his own death on the cross. The trouble is with this familiarity is that we've already determined who is right and who is wrong based on previous evidence. The Pharisees always get it in the neck. Knowing that the Pharisees are regularly cast in the Gospels as Jesus' opposition, we all too easily and quickly judge the Pharisees to be self-righteous hypocrites and assume But the moral of this story is very simple, that is, to be humble. There's a really good reason for this interpretation, as Luke seems to frame the parable in just this way. The difficulty, though, with such an interpretation is that we may end up ourselves preaching, Lord, we thank you that we're not like other people. We're not like hypocrites. We're not overly pious, we're not self-righteous, or even like that Pharisee. We come to church every week, we listen attentively to scripture, and we have learned that we should always be humble. This parable is clearly squarely aimed at those who trust in their own righteousness and regard others with contempt. In other words, those very people at the time who were smugly nodding to each other, thinking, I've got got what it takes, I'm not like that, and I'm going to be fine. Jesus describes someone who, by all appearances, should be one of the most holy and devoted Jews around, a Pharisee. The Pharisees do always get a really bad press, in the gospel stories, so we might need to adjust our thinking about them to understand how they might be seen um, through the eyes of the first century Jewish culture. Pharisees were extremely devout and highly disciplined in their religious practices. A Pharisee was obedient to the law, even going above and beyond what the law required. Everything that the Pharisee says is true. He has set himself apart from others by his faithful adherence to the law. He is, by the standards of both Luke and Jesus, righteous. By all the rules set by the Jewish law, the Pharisee was a really good person. A tax collector, though, on the other hand, was a really bad person. Tax collectors were considered to be traitors and cheats. They'd sold out to the Romans who oppressed Israel, and then they collected the Roman tolls and padded their own pockets with whatever they wanted to charge, basically, above the required tax. But Jews considered the practice to be highly unethical and contrary to God's commands. If a Pharisee was at the top of the righteousness ladder, a tax collector was not even on the bottom rung. So the Pharisee goes to the temple to pray. 
feeling confident before God about himself and his own righteousness. And he knows that he's a really good Jew. In fact, he's better at being Jewish than most other Jews. And his prayers reflect his own awareness. He stands where he can be clearly seen by everyone around who might look at him as a good example. And he lifts his eyes and his hands to heaven. His very posture even looks righteous as he begins to recite a prayer of thanksgiving. His prayer actually sounds an awful lot like the psalm David used to rejoice when he was delivered from Saul. And I'll just read you a bit from that. So Psalm 18, 2024. Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me and his statutes I did not put away from me. I was blameless before him and I kept myself from my guilt. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. But the Pharisee doesn't just recite psalm. This is what he does. He prays, I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people. As he compares himself to rogues and thieves, and especially to the tax collector he sees hiding in the corner, the the Pharisee is really proud of the sharp contrast between his good works and the evil that he sees around him. The tax collector also prays from the Psalm of David, but he chooses Psalm 51, which is a prayer of repentance. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. The tax collector is hiding in the shadows on the floor in an almost collapsed state. He is so beaten by the weight of his own sin. His sin is such a burden to him that he can only speak the first phrase of that psalm. Have mercy on me, God. I want you to just pause for a moment to consider the language of these two prayers. Four times the Pharisee uses the word I as he prays. He sees himself as the subject of each sentence and everything the Pharisee says about himself is true. He has set himself apart from others by faithfully obeying the law. He really is righteous by the standards of first century Judaism. So before we condemn this Pharisee for his pride, it might be a good idea, dare I say, if we prayed similarly to him. How often might we have often seen someone down on their luck and said, There but for the grace of God go I. What sounds like a very simple, naive and honest prayer of gratitude for good fortune is actually 
a judgment made about another person, implying that we have been blessed and they have not. I wonder if we should actually be saying things like, I'm so blessed when talking to others. We are actually differentiating ourselves from others, making ourselves sound superior. It can also be really hurtful as it implies that the other person has not been blessed like us. We need to be really careful with the words that we use. The problem with limiting our understanding to this very obvious interpretation of being humble is that we end up sounding just like that Pharisee. Lord, we thank you that we're not like other people. We don't say nasty things about other people behind their backs. We're not overly pious or self-righteous or even like that Pharisee. We don't make a big thing about our religion. We come to church every week. We listen to the Bible and pray. We sign up to make cakes and do outreachy things. And we know that we should always be humble. Actually, that does sound uncomfortably like the Pharisee. So it's more tricky than it seems at first. When we start sounding like the Pharisee, it might mean we are starting to think like the Pharisee. The Pharisee's problem is that he thinks his righteousness is because of his own actions and attitudes. He has trusted in himself, in his own efforts. He may be telling the truth about himself, but his prayer misses the truth about God. In the tax collector's prayer, God is the subject. God is the doer, the one who shows mercy. The Pharisee made himself better by comparing himself by someone he considered to be less than he was. But the tax collector also made a comparison, but not to another person. He compared himself to the holiness of God, and he recognized he really, really understood how far he was from matching that kind of righteousness. The Pharisee saw himself as holy because of what he did. But the tax collector knew he was a sinner dependent on what God does. The tax collector knew his only chance of holiness was by the grace of God. Both men addressed God directly in their prayers. Both men prayed about themselves. But one put himself at the center of the praise, while the other asked for God's mercy. Tax collector isn't so much humble as downright desperate. He hasn't got the time to consider dividing humanity into sides to sort people into acceptable or unacceptable groups. All he can see All he knows is his own need. He doesn't stake his hopes on anything that he has done or deserved. So here's the essential contrast. One makes claims to righteousness based on his own accomplishments, while the other relies entirely on the Lord's benevolence 
rather than be grateful for his blessing, the Pharisee appears to be almost smug to the point of despising other people. In his mind, there are two kinds of people, the righteous and the immoral. And he is grateful that he has been placed among the righteous. He likely perceives that he is blessed to be part of the better people. The tax collector, of course, on the other hand, isn't so much humble as desperate. He's too overwhelmed by his plight to take time to divide humanity into sides. All he recognizes as he stands near the temple is his own great need. He therefore stakes all his hopes and his claims, not on anything that he has done or deserved, entirely on God's mercy. I don't think it's a coincidence that this exchange takes place at the temple. Within the grounds of the great temple, you were always acutely aware of who you were, of what status you held, or what you could actually expect from God. There were at the temple insiders and outsiders, and according to those rules, there was no question of where the Pharisee and the tax collector stood. But when Jesus dies, all this changes. As the gospel report, as we know so well, the the curtain in the temple is torn in two, tearing down for all time, for all time, the divisions of humanity before God. But this parable can be a trap. Whenever we try to divide people into any kinds of groups, we find ourselves siding with the Pharisee. Whenever we take it upon ourselves to judge who is righteous and who is a sinner, who is right and who is wrong, as the Pharisee did, or we try to divide people into the proud or the humble, as Luke seems to do, we can almost fall into that trap. The Christian pastor and author, David Lose, writes this. Any time you draw a line between who's in and who's out, you will find God on the other side. And it's unfortunately part of the human condition to, to judge. Isn't it? We all do it. And we might be aware of it and stop it, but it keeps happening. We try to separate out the apparently wrong from the apparently right. I mention here today particularly those who identify themselves as gay, lesbian, or anyone else within the LGBTQ plus community who want to love, who want to marry, as much as those in a conventional relationship. We may feel uncomfortable, conflicted perhaps, even confused by it all. Maybe we just don't get it, or it offends us in some way. And so we put them in the out section of our judgment. And I will repeat again, where we draw a line between who is in and who is out, 
we can be absolutely certain that God is on the other side. This parable is not about self-righteousness and humility any more than it is about a pious Pharisee and a desperate tax collector. Rather, this parable is about God. God who alone can judge the human heart. It is God who justifies the ungodly when they ask for nothing more than mercy. The only way to avoid this parable's trap is to remember each time we try to interpret it that we can claim nothing but our dependence on God's love and mercy, his love, his mercy. When we forget about creating divisions and we stand before God, aware only of our own needs, then we too can be justified through Jesus and invited into God's mercy and his grace. At the end of the day, that Pharisee went home from the temple the same way he came. He was righteous in his own eyes and in the eyes of everyone else who saw him. Nothing had changed. But the tax collector experienced something completely different. Jesus says that when he left the temple, he went home justified. That word means to be shown to be in the right or acquitted. How does this happen? The tax collector made no sacrifice, no offer of restitution. So how was it that he was the one that was justified? That tax collector was made right with God by his prayer, his very simple prayer for God's mercy. The prayer did not change God's mind, but it did change the tax collector. Prayer never changes God. It changes us. If the tax collector had kept praying from Psalm 51, he'd get to verse 8, which says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Amen. Lord, we're sorry when we've considered ourselves in any way superior to others that you have made. Forgive us when pride becomes the centerpiece of our lives and open our eyes to see where this is a danger. We repent of our assumptions and tendencies to claim the moral high ground, to judge rather than to love, to use our words as ways to trample on others' worth. Forgive us and restore us, for in puffing ourselves up, we let your people down. In Jesus' name we pray, restore us. Amen.